The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello and welcome to the Big Blue Review Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. Now, officially, NFL offseason is here. We know if you're listening to this, you mostly are following the Giants, so it has been that offseason for quite some time. Arguably, during the regular season, it kind of looked like it was the offseason. Super Bowl is done. We are now headed straight toward free agency, toward the draft, toward all those other fun things we do during the offseason. So what we are going to do for this episode is we're just going to go through a couple narratives that we think are, well, we know are going to just be popping up during the offseason. And these are narratives that aren't necessarily true or they are very flawed narratives. So Mm -hmm. we just want to bring a couple up, kind of get ahead of them so maybe you can think a little differently when you hear these brought up in other places. These are things that are going to possibly shape Giants' decisions in the offseason, things that are going to influence you know, how we talk about draft prospects, and just a whole bunch of other things. So you ready to get into this, Chris? Oh, yeah. yeah. These are kind of like some just narrative zombies that we need to put down. Yeah, some things that we just... We just need to say, hey, that's just not true. So I think let's let's start with one that can be put to what maybe some people were taking away from the Super Bowl on Sunday night. This was a defensive battle, I think we can say. Two very good defensive game plans, but very bad offense. I think we can we can take that away. That as good as the defense played, the offenses in both scenarios kind of killed themselves at some points. You had Goff was just super bad under pressure. He had that Brandon Cooks touchdown that was just wide open. He was too late from it. Uh, He had a couple other throws where where he just missed. So for as good as the defense has played, there was some bad offense. So I think some people were coming away from this game and thinking that having a good run game and a good defense is what wins you the Super Bowl. And in that sense of the particular game, yeah, the defense was very good. Bill Belichick, one of the best you know, defensive game planners of all time. You also had Wade Phillips there. But trying to put that narrative on this game and then going forward and like this is how you win, that's just 
it's ignoring everything that got us to this point. Let's remember the, the final four teams in the playoffs ranked first, second, fourth, and fifth in offensive DVOA. In defensive DVOA, the final four teams ranked 11th, 16th, 19th, and 26th. So the defenses, there were spurts where these defenses could play well. But to say that like you need this good defense to play all season is not true. I think you need some good defensive players that are going to be able to perform when needed. But to think that you need to build some great defense in order to win the Super Bowl uh, is just not true. No, you, you need the great defense to win the Super Bowl if you don't have an offense and basically need something to carry that side of the ball. Uh, ideally, you've got a balanced team that can score points and hopefully take the other team out of their offensive game plan, if not just preventing them from scoring in key moments. But the idea that defense wins championships, that's kind of been extinct for a little while. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about a team like the Chicago Bears, who were the number one defense in DVOA by a wide margin. They were 20th in offensive DVOA. That showed up in the playoffs. That's why they weren't in the Super Bowl, because they didn't have an offense good enough to get them there. Uh, and I think one of the best things I'll hear, and this will be the last thing we'll say on this before we move on to another thing, uh, the best thing I've heard was that offense wins games and defense wins championships. Do you know what the Super Bowl is? The Super Bowl is a game. <laughs> <laughs> you also have to win games and score to get there. So, like, to think that all of a sudden just because it's the Super Bowl, everything changes is just not true. We're going to continue to see over the next couple years until defenses adapt. That is the other thing. Offenses right now are so far ahead of defenses. that That's why they are so much better. And that's why teams are going out and targeting offense and why they're trying to get better there. When you look at like things like expected points added, it's so much bigger on offense. You just add so much more on the offensive side of the ball. When you have a defense that can react, yeah, that's great. But that's just not happening yet. And it's so hard to build. So if you're trying to build off of what happened in the Super Bowl, it's not that defenses win championships. It's like the Bill Belichick type coaching wins championships. And I think we've seen it's very hard to get that. You basically need Bill Belichick, which for the Giants perspective, it's kind of unfortunate they had him and let him go. But there was a whole thing around that. Or you need a player who is just so ridiculously dynamic that he can take a game over kind of like how Aaron Donald was just wrecking the middle of the Patriots offensive line, which was one of the best offensive lines in football this year. Yeah, and they they had you know, they were double teaming him, they were triple teaming him, and he he still made a little bit of an impact. Obviously, not as much as the Rams would have liked, but that's again a way you can scheme around a specific single defensive player. It's easier to scheme around that on offense than it is for a defense to uh, try to take away 
a, a strength on offense. Uh, and you see, that's what Bill Belichick does. That's why he is so good is because he can take away those strengths. But again, Bill Belichick is the outlier. He's probably the greatest coach of all time. So it's hard to really think like that is a repeatable thing for other teams because it's just not. And if you think like Sony Michelle had a bigger impact in the game than Julian Edelman did and that he, how Edelman was just literally uncoverable from the slot. If Edelman's not able to get going, the Patriots offense is stuck and looks like the Rams no matter how well Sony Michelle is running the ball. But the fact that the Rams did not have anyone who could cover Edelman in the slot, that was the big point. Point of moving the ball forward. So it's, it's, I just, I don't really want to hear that the, the run game and defense is is what gets you the Super Bowl. Those, those are absolutely the two wrong takeaways to take from this game. Yeah, ab- just absolutely. And I'm not sure how m- much else there is to say other than <laughs> my sympathies to everyone who took the over on the score expecting a... Uh, offensive explosion between these two teams i took the under and even i overestimated the score (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was that was the under by about a mile (laughs) all right so let's let's move on to some other things now that we can get into to the offseason so let's take a look at i know you have a couple so what what's a narrative you want to kind of strike dead before we even have to talk about it later uh First one, and I think this one will kind of segue nicely into one of yours. It said the left tackle is the most important piece on the offensive line. No. Just no. First off, it's the center who is, A, the only player other than a quarterback in a normal offense who touches the ball every single snap. So that, number one, makes him important. You need to have your snaps go off correctly. Otherwise, your offense is completely doomed from the start. Also, he's the guy who's in charge of setting protections and communicating up and down the line. As we have seen, if you don't have a center who can get the protections right, correctly communicate what he is seeing with the other lineman, you're screwed from the start. But also, and this is where the idea that the left tackle is a cornerstone piece really comes from, when it comes to protecting the quarterback... Most quarterbacks see more pressure from the right side than from the left side. Unfortunately, the full context of the stat has disappeared behind pro football folks' paywall. But they did a study, and it showed that 15.5% of the time, pressure from the left going at the left tackle resulted in a sack. Pressure from the right resulted in a sack 17.3% of the time. And even though that's the not the blind side for most quarterbacks, it really doesn't matter. They also found that fumbles are more common in pressure from the right than the left. And it just makes sense when you realize that defenses are now scheming pressure from all sides. They're coming up the middle and a gap or double a gap blitzes they're it's coming from the secondary it's coming from the slot they're lining their best pass rushers up over the right tackle now instead of the left tackle or they're sending pass rushers from both sides so the idea that 
you need to invest your the greatest amount of resources in your left tackle because he's the one who's protecting your quarterback. In reality, that just isn't true. You need both tackles to be good, solid pass protectors. And it helps if they're also decent to good run blockers. But the most important thing is keeping your quarterback upright. Otherwise, you're just not going to go anywhere. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you see some of the best pass rushers in the league right now. Von Miller rushes from both sides. He rushes against the right tackle, I think, more often. The Raiders used to move around Khalil Mack, and the Bears did move around Khalil Mack again this year. You look at someone like Kansas City's uh, Mitchell Schwartz, who was the right tackle, probably one of the better offensive lineman in the league. He was getting matched up against Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, uh, Khalil Mack when he was still in Oakland, and Von Miller. Uh, He was seeing those guys more often than the left tackle was. Pressure is getting schemed up from everywhere. And so this the, the blindside thing just it doesn't hold true anymore. It's just it's not a thing. Defense has evolved. And I think if we want to bring this back to the Giants, I that was clearly the flaw of thinking that Eric Flowers, a very bad left tackle, could somehow move to the right side and be a better tackle there when It was his technique and his preparation and everything. Like, he wasn't seeing worse players. Why they thought just magically moving him to the right side would make his job any easier. It actually probably made it harder because he had to relearn how to do everything with the opposite arm. So that was probably made Flowers even worse if that was somehow possible. <laughs> um, so, and and I think we, we see this too. And uh, if we go into some draft prospects, I'm not totally sure if, if we do this as much because I think for the most part, uh, most people have learned when you see someone who's maybe played on the left side in college and go, oh, I'm not sure he's a left tackle in the NFL. You can move him over to the right side. Th- that doesn't make any sense. There's there's not any difference in the quality of pass rusher. And if they're comfortable on the left side and they're better, it, there's no need to try to teach them. It's a new position on the right side to move all of their technique over uh, to the opposite hand and and the footwork and everything. So I just, that I I don't understand. I think we're getting better at that, but there are still some people who are going to come out and say that. Oh yeah, you still hear it, that X player is a right tackle only because, you know, maybe he's 6'5", 330 and might not have the hip or knee flexibility that you would ideally like to see from a starting offensive tackle. Well, in that case, maybe he's more of a candidate to slide inside to guard, assuming he has the strength and hand technique to hold up on the inside. But just because he doesn't have mobility at left tackle doesn't mean he's magically going to develop it at right tackle and then you have to confront the problem of getting them to learn the swap their technique over from left to right basically holding a mirror up to everything they know and trying to get them to learn how to do that successfully yeah that's why i think maybe the 
best and smartest move the Giants made on their offensive line last year was not touching Will Hernandez. Just let him be where he was a first-round talent. I think that was something where Hernandez's talent just did show through because he was getting snaps on, on both sides of the line. And there was, I think, some thought early in the season to keep Omame on the left side and plug Hernandez in on the right side. And it, it is a good thing that... I think Hernandez's talent just kind of won out, and he was the clear best option at left guard. Uh, so they moved Omame over to the right side, who did have uh, some experience playing on both sides. So uh, there was that. But trying to make the left side of the line more important, uh, it's just... Uh, it's it's just not 1986 not anymore. No, it's not. Uh, and I think a lot of what we're going to be talking about and a lot of things just kind of stem from a lot of this old school thinking. That's what run the ball and play defense is. That's what the the left side of the line being premium is. Uh, the, the game has just changed so much. And with that, just these thoughts need to continue to evolve. Uh, and I, I think we're getting a little better at that just as... Uh, just as an overall group of people who analyze football, but we could still get better. And that's why we need to talk about these types of things. Yeah, definitely. Football, especially at the NFL level, is just ruthlessly Darwinian. And it's either adapt and evolve or die. Yeah, yeah, that's that is absolutely the case. Say So why don't we get to your offensive line note while we're here? Yeah, so we'll do that. Mine is a little more Giants-specific, and uh, it's something that we brought up, I think, on, on the last episode we did, or two episodes ago. I don't know. A lot of these blend together, to be <laughs> honest. But it's that the Giants need a dominant offensive line to succeed uh, in the passing game. Uh, and that's just not true. So the Giants you know, were 17th in... Offensive pressure rate allowed per Sports Info Solutions. So that's you know about league average, a little maybe below league average. But overall, it's not like they had a pressure rate of a hundred percent. Which, if you hear people talking about the Giants' offensive line, like they make it sound like on every snap, Eli Manning was under pressure and had a second to get rid of the ball. That is just again not true. And if we look at Eli Manning's ranks when there was not pressure. Uh, and if see, there's a whole bunch of studies that come out that from year to year, and even like within the season, a quarterback performance without pressure is more stable than with pressure. I think we know that the getting pressure on a quarterback is good from the defensive side, bad from the offensive side, and every quarterback performs worse under pressure. How much worse and how consistently worse is highly variable from game to game, pass to pass, and season to season. So if you want to look at how you expect a quarterback to perform in the future, you look at what he did from a clean pocket when he wasn't pressured. So in 2018, there were 38 quarterbacks who had at least 100 attempts without pressure. Of those 38 quarterbacks, 
Eli Manning was 23rd in completion percentage, 18th in on-target percentage, 28th in touchdown rate, 25th in interception rate. He was 12th in yards per attempt. He was 23rd in positive play percentage, which is basically the success rate, uh, the percentage of plays that had positive expected points added. And per Sports Info Solutions, he was 23rd in points earned, which is their EPA metric that individually divides credit between players. So when you look at that, he's a bottom third quarterback in just about every statistic that's without pressure. So if you want to talk about how some new offensive line is going to magically improve the Giants passing offense, like that is just not the case either. No, and the unfortunate truth of it, the matter is, is that Eli is just declining. He's getting old. Part of it, I think, is probably the fact that the Giants just did not use a lot of their pieces well last year. You know, how often did we see Evan Ingram running three yards past the line of scrimmage across the field? You know, that's not how you use him. I don't, I don't know how many points that is going to add, but I, I think the answer is not many. Probably fractional. Yeah, how many times was a play designed to throw the ball to Saquon Barkley either at or behind the line of scrimmage? Again, that that's just not an efficient use of their pieces. So even independently of Eli's decline, the scheme really didn't do him many favors. No, it didn't. And there's a lot that needs to be improved there. Uh, but I think this idea that... Uh, I'm, adding more to the offensive line again the offensive line does need to be improved you absolutely need a a new right tackle at the least (laughs) but whether you need you know a top of the line right tackle and whether just having a whole you know another from center to the right making that all new and trying to improve that that's not just some magic pill that's going to make Eli Manning and this offense good and I think it is going to be important because the way it looks right now there's going to be Eli Manning in 2019 and whether the Giants drafts a quarterback or not early I there might be Eli Manning still in 2020. Um, So this is just something that the context has to be put around this of what is and isn't working. The offensive line needs to be fixed, but fixing it is not some just magic solution to making the quarterback better. No. The only thing it will directly make better is probably the run game, which is one thing they've they've shown they want to lean on maybe even to a slightly irrational level if they're going to be handing Barkley the ball two out of every three first downs they might at least give him an an offensive line that is going to open a hole every once in a while yeah, so I think that that's one maybe you know the a mini narrative I can throw in here before we move on is that the offensive line is so much more important to the running game than it is the passing game. Uh, having a good offensive line that can open holes in the run game has a way bigger impact on how good a running game is than the pass blocking does on how good a passing offense is because there's so many other ways around scheming around a bad 
or below average offensive line in the passing game. There's fewer ways to scheme around that in the run game. And I think we saw that. So the offensive line is going to improve the running game more. It's not going to do as much in the passing game. It's a lot about the quarterback. Sack rate is also a quarterback statistic more than it is an offensive line statistic. There have been a few studies in that. Quarterbacks do control their sack rate a lot more than they're given credit for. It's one of the few things uh, where quarterbacks aren't given enough credit for how much they control that. (laughs) So I think that's just something you have to keep in mind as the Giants start to build going forward. So Chris, let's get into your next one. Yeah, and this is one I have already run into doing my prospect profiles and that is the perception of size being a skill. And for the most part, because I have been focusing on the offensive line before the combine, personally, I feel I get a better read on that those positions without having the underwear Olympics to confound anything. But seemingly every time I post a an offensive lineman's profile... And if he is basically under 310 pounds, there is a comment that the Giants need to get bigger on the offensive line. They need big guys who can run block. No. What they need is offensive linemen who are good at run blocking so they can run block. Going back a couple years when the Giants played the Jets in the regular season back in 2015, they had Weston Richburg at center. He beat Damon Harrison, who is in a league of his own as a run defender, and also about 60 pounds heavier than Weston Richburg. Richburg beat him one-on-one on running plays. Size didn't matter. It was a matter of technique. It was a matter of leverage, angles, and the offensive line working as a unit, not just being big. John Jerry is a big guard. He was not a good run blocker. But just to expand on that a little bit more, you know, how often do we see with quarterback prospects? You know, he's got prototypical size and frame. You know, Daniel Jones is basically the premier example of that right now. He's 6'5", 230. Does that automatically make him a good quarterback? Uh, that kind of remains to be seen. You know, Baker Mayfield was way undersized, but he basically stepped in and was at least a better-than-league average quarterback. And now we have Kyler Murray, who could be one of the smallest quarterbacks ever drafted. But everything about him says that he is promising, to say the least. Yeah, and then you look at a guy like Aaron Donald, who is the most dominant defensive player in the league. He dropped to 13th in the draft when it was clear he was an athletic freak. He was incredibly productive in college, uh, but he was small. I will say small for the position because Aaron Donald is still a very large human being. (laughs) Um, But for a defensive tackle, he was labeled small, so... Teams stayed away from him uh, until the Rams took him 13th overall in that draft uh, when he should have been a top five pick, even at the time. Yeah, I remember, I remember when I did a, an early mock draft, a pre. It might have even have been before the, in the run up to the senior bowl that year. I don't, I haven't gone back to look for it specifically, but 
I listed Aaron Donald as a pick in the 20s at that point because I figured a guy that small, he's really good, but that small, the league isn't going to know what to make of him, so he's going to drop. And I got absolutely killed in the comments for even including him in the first round because of his size. Well, now he's threatening Michael Strahan's sack record. And like you said, he is the most dominant defensive player in the league right now. Closer to home. Really, who would you want at wide receiver? Odell Beckham or Mike Evans or Julio Jones? Those two guys have just freakish size and speed. But I would rather have Odell all day, every day. And he is, at least according to the uh, archetypes, he's small for a receiver. If you stay with the Giants, I think when they moved on from Brett Jones, the center, at the start of the season, um, there was just word that the Giants thought he was a little too small to play center. Uh, But he played well last year. He played okay when he got the shot in Minnesota this year before they got a little healthier there and he was moved back to a reserve role. And then you saw the Giants kind of struggled at center all year. Just being big does not mean you are good. I think we can look at Dave Gettleman's strikes at wide receiver while he was drafting in Carolina. See, uh, Kelvin Benjamin is very large. Uh, He is also very bad. Um, (laughs) Devin Funches is is a little better, but still, the big guy that just didn't really pan out and and the skill set did not really translate as well as they were hoping. And you see, you know, smaller guys like Sterling Shepard can still win on the outside, uh, even though he's like 5'10 or 5'11. Uh, not being a certain size is not the detriment it used to be. We're seeing guys get be, be able to get around that. Uh, so I, I really do not see size as, as something that uh, is, uh, is going to be a detriment to where a guy can't play because of it. Yeah, no. Size isn't a skill. Skill is skill. Yes, uh, it is. So let's move on to, I think, what our last one is going to be here. Uh, This is going to be just one more Giants-specific thing as we start really pushing forward uh, into the offseason. It's also something we've talked about a little bit more, and it's that the the Giants' pass rush, I think the narrative that the Giants' pass rush was terrible. It was not. It was fine. It, it got pressure when it needed to, and that is, you know, that's the job of the defensive line is to get pressure. And so the Giants were tied for thirtieth in sack rate. It, that's you know, obviously not great. The other team tied for thirtieth in sack rate was the New England Patriots. They just won the Super Bowl. They were able to manufacture a pass rush. They got some pressure. They were better in the playoffs than they were during the regular season. But these were two teams that were also, you know, top 10 units in creating pressure. It just didn't always turn into sacks. That is fine because as we talked about with Eli earlier in this episode, that just getting pressure on a quarterback makes him worse whether you get him for a sack or not. If you just look at like the sack rates and the pressure rates, you had the Giants who were top 10 in pressure. You had New England who was 
uh, also top 10 in pressure rate, but they didn't get the sacks. Uh, those are much better defenses than you look at Oakland, who was last in sack rate, but they were also last in pressure rate. They had a bad pass rush because they could not create pressure, so they could not get sacks. But the Giants and Patriots, they were able to get pressure, so not getting sacks was not as big of a deal. Pass rush is more than sacks. The problem, again, with the Giants was that secondary was not able to hold up when the pressure did occur. And I wrote about this on Big Blue View. If you look at the difference between what the Giants secondary and the Patriots secondaries were able to do when there was pressure on the opposing quarterback, it's a world of difference. The Patriots were so much better because they had guys like Stephon Gilmore, who was incredible during the regular season, probably the best cornerback in the league during the regular season. He was great during the Super Bowl. He was shut down basically during the Super Bowl. He followed Brandon Cooks all over the place, and they just could not get much there outside of that that broken play into uh, where Cooks was wide open in the end zone, but that was a zone coverage. So there was just, there's a lot going on there. So I think you're going to see so much about how the Giants need to improve the pass rush, but what they need to really do is improve that secondary, have someone who can run with the number one corners, have good number two and slot corners, have a good free safety uh, who is not a liability in coverage. I think all of that will help the pass rush more than you know, cutting Olivier Vernon, drafting a pass rusher at six. That's really not improving. That's just a lateral move. Uh, but what you can do is improve that secondary, and that's going to help so much more. Yeah, de- definitely. I would not disagree in the slightest if the Giants do add to their pass rush. Maybe not make a lateral move. I think this is the second show in a row we've said this. Please. Don't just make a lateral move. Build on the position. Add maybe a dedicated speed rusher or maybe another interior rusher to pair with BJ Hill. Right. I think you you can never have too many pass rushers. You can never yeah. be too deep at that position. I think my problem is when people are going to be looking at this Giants pass rush, they're going to see Olivier Verdon didn't have as many sacks as he should have, so they think he's overpaid and should be released. But the thing is, Olivier Vernon was incredible at getting to the passer. He put pressure on the passer. That makes the quarterbacks worse. So uh, when you have that, and now if you lose that, then you have to replace that, and then you also have to improve. That's just going to be so much harder than it is to think that his sack rate is going to improve because the pressure rate was already there. And as we've said before, and there's been studies, and I've written about this also, is that pressure rate is more predictive of future sack rate than present sack rate is. If you're getting a lot of pressure, that is eventually going to turn into sacks. If you're getting a lot of sacks, that can sometimes be misleading. If you're just converting every pressure scenario and getting a sack there, that sounds like a good thing, but in the long run, that's going to regress down to to the mean. And when you look at how many quarterback hits you have per sack, usually a around 
maybe 43%-ish of those hits get turned into sacks. And that is something that is going to regress in the mean both sides. If you are under that, you are likely to have that improve. And if you are over that number, you're likely to see that come down. There are exceptions on both sides, of course. But when you look at that, the Giants were productive. They hit the quarterback. That is good. They cannot control whether the quarterback gets the ball away or not. What they can do is have a secondary that can hold up better when that pressure does come, and that's what's going to make the defense better. Yeah, definitely, and they've got decisions. Like we went over in the last episode, like in the secondary, um, the first is how soon should we get rid of Curtis Riley and exactly how much should we spend to get a good free safety hopefully the answers are soon and whatever we have to and then they have to figure out what to do with Janoris Jenkins do they think he will maybe rebound with a actually good free safety behind him and maybe Sam Beal letting James Betcher call more man coverages or do they think he is just who he is and not worth the money right and to hear what we think of all of that you can listen to the previous episode we don't need to go back over that again (laughs) uh the plug for that please listen to that if you have not we went over offensive and defensive just kind of reviews position by position and with some thoughts on what they should do going forward so if you have not listened to those uh, do that So with that plug, I think we can end it there. We can plug what is coming next for us, and that is going to be talking quarterbacks with Mark Schofield. That's something we did during this season. And now that we have uh, maybe a slightly clearer view of what the Giants might do at quarterback, what some of the who the draft prospects are now. We're going to talk again with Mark. So we're going to cover everything quarterback with Mark Schofield at the end of the week. I am very excited for that episode. So I hope you guys join us for that. Oh, you definitely. can, yeah, definitely. And also, we will probably cover a few things that are not quarterback. I think last time we got to um, fighting a lion eye football and. Uh, red dead 2 so we don't know where we're going to be going yet so you should make a point of coming along the journey with us yeah we'll we'll try to keep it on topic as much as possible but uh it's going to be an enjoyable episode regardless um so for now you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast please rate and review if you have not that is very helpful to us you follow our work on bigblueview.com follow bigblueview on twitter at big blue view you can follow us on instagram at big underscore blue underscore view you can follow me on twitter at dan pizzuta you can follow chris on twitter at raptor mkii thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon